0: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. TGIF, we're taking a break from the news and serious conversations we have on The Daily to remind you, it's summertime. I don't know about you, but there's no other place I'd rather be than New England to enjoy summer, which never lasts long enough. Coming up, we hear from Bill Noble, a lifelong gardener and author of Spirit of Place. Have you been working to make your backyard a special oasis during these stressful times? We'll hear from Noble on how we can all create a special place where we live. One of the things I love to do when I travel is visit botanical gardens. There are some great ones in our region. My next guest has written the book, The Garden Tourist, New England, which guides readers to destination gardens and nurseries around our region. Her name is Jana Milbacher. She's a garden designer. Jana, welcome to our show.
2: Thank you, Lucy. It's great to be here today.
0: And that would be before we talk about your book, which has given me a lot of great ideas for road trips, Yana, I wanted to ask you as someone who's been gardening for a long time, we know uh, many people have been sheltering in place over the last few months. It's a great time to start gardening by mid July. Is it too late or can people start a project? Uh, What would you recommend?
2: Uh, I think you still can start a project. Um, It is, uh, it's a little too hot right now to be planting large trees or shrubs, but you can definitely be adding annuals and perennials to your garden. And uh, it's a great time to start some container gardening if you haven't done that already.
0: When we think about container gardens, I think of planting annuals. But when we think about maybe the vegetable garden, are there any vegetables that we could be planting now that we can still enjoy by October, Yana?
2: um well it um it is a it's a little late for a lot of vegetables, although if you are able to find some larger um, plants of say tomatoes, uh, you could certainly put those in containers right now or peppers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you can also start seeds for things like lettuce to get a second crop, um, early, uh, in the fall. Uh, and herbs are great, uh, to, to have in the container any time of year. And, um, they do well in hot weather. So that's something that you could definitely add your basils, um, tarragons, chives, uh, parsley's, all the different herbs that are out there. When we think about flowers
0: for containers, uh, what do you recommend people can pick up and start, Yana?
2: Uh, Well, for flowers, um, whatever annuals are still available in the nurseries um, would be great to put in containers. But you can also um, think about having perennials in your pots and shrubs like hydrangeas and roses. That really give you a long season of bloom, and they do very well in containers. You just want to make sure that you get a nice size pot, at least 24 inches in diameter, and add some additional soil when you uh, when you plant the shrub. But um, most roses and hydrangeas will really continue to bloom uh, for the rest of the summer right now.
0: What about patios? Uh, when we think about container gardening, um, having uh, beautiful containers around your patio, but even are there berries or uh, oh, fruit yeah. trees oh, that yeah. work good in patio pots?
2: Sure, sure. In fact, that's really been a focus um, for the hybridizers in the last few years is to develop more plants that do well in containers uh, because many people do. Um, uh have uh patio gardens uh, in their apartment complexes or at their condos um or um even in a in a home garden so there have been new varieties of fruiting shrubs developed uh strawberries blueberries raspberries and blackberries that are meant to be very compact um they're also uh, they're also the raspberries and blackberries are also thornless and they're meant to be grown in pots And uh, also new varieties of um, miniature trees have been developed, um, peaches, uh, pears, and other fruit trees that do very well in a container on the patio. So that's been a really nice trend um, in hybridizing to um, develop these different varieties and have them available for the home gardener.
0: You're hearing Yana Milbacher on the phone with us here on Where We Live. She's a garden designer and author of the book, The Garden Tourist New England, A Guide to 140 Outstanding Gardens and Nurseries. Yana's going to tell tell us some of those locations in just a few minutes. Uh, Judy wrote on Facebook, Yana, that her backyard is a blank canvas. So for someone, again, oh. who's been gardening for a long time, if someone is beginning, what are some plants that you'd recommend to start?
2: Well, um, you know, most gardeners tend to start with flowers, um, annuals and perennials because they want the instant color, but if you do have a truly a blank canvas, you really want to think about trees and shrubs that will give the garden structure throughout the year. So um, those are some of the things that you, you should really try to investigate first and to put in first because they will form the framework and then you can add the perennials and the annuals later on. And it's it's always a good idea to have a nice mix of um evergreen shrubs as well as deciduous trees and shrubs because uh here in New England we will look at a quote, quote unquote winter garden uh for um a good 6 months of the year from November until April or May when the uh, the leaves of deciduous trees and shrubs leaf out again. So it's really a nice idea to have a balance of the two. Um, I also love uh, flowering trees so uh, because they really, um, you know, they have the, the beautiful flowers that we are all hungry for in the early spring. So things like um, crab apples, um, uh, many of the cherries and other ornamentals are really great to include in the garden when you're starting.
0: I see a lot of people with dogwoods but I was uh in I was introduced to the fringe tree by our local conservation district and that's a really lovely uh smaller ornamental tree to have in your in your garden Yana.
2: It is. Yes. And the dogwoods are spectacular as well because many of them will bloom before they leaf out. So you just have this glorious show of white or pink blooms very early in the season. Um also, things like red buds um, would also bloom before they leaf out, uh, and they typically will have purple or white blooms uh, that go along their branches. So th- those are some of the trees that are really favorites for spring color.
0: I wanted to uh, jump into your book because we're talking about trees and shrubs. Uh, Your book is divided uh, by states uh, throughout New England, six chapters. I'm jumping, of course, to Connecticut because uh, that's where we are. And uh, a great place to visit, a nursery for trees and shrubs is Broken Arrow in Hamden, Connecticut. Can you tell us about why you wanted to
2: profile them? Well, a Broken Arrow is really known among gardeners um, as a, a nursery that introduces rare and unusual plants. And so plant, so people that are particularly collect plants and want uh, the most unusual um, varieties that are available will really flock to Broken Arrow. Um, Broken Arrow also will visit other public gardens uh, for specialty plant sales. So even if you cannot visit them in person, oftentimes you'll see them at a public garden um for instance they they um do i think even come up to Massachusetts um or in other states um so that's a wonderful nursery um another nursery in Connecticut that does um, a lot of interesting plants is O'Brien Nurseryman in Granby uh, they're really well known for their shade perennials um, in fact they have about 1600 different hostas available for sale and also dwarf conifers and Japanese maples so um That's a great place to visit if you're a plant collector or if you do have a large shade garden. They have beautiful display gardens there. So you can see many of these plants um, in their mature sizes. And also you can see how they combine with other plants for best effect.
0: I love that you include nurseries throughout this book, because oftentimes when people are starting to garden, we think about going to the big box stores, but not necessarily those stores have uh, native uh, plants and shrubs that uh, you can also be planting in your yard. And and these nurseries that you mentioned um, have those, including uh, at Broken Arrow, they're known for their mountain laurels, which is our state flower.
2: Exactly. And in fact, the founder of Broken Arrow Nursery um, is uh, a world uh, famous expert on the hybridizing of mountain laurels. So, if you if that is a plant that you uh, are attracted to, you will find many varieties of mountain laurels there, and they're really experts at growing, uh, propagating, and hybridizing them.
0: I was reading uh, your bio, and I understand you're actually from Connecticut, Yana.
2: That's right. I grew up in Bloomfield. And uh then I moved to Massachusetts um after college. So I'm quite familiar um with uh with Connecticut and um and in fact I I really began to get interested in gardening, I think, uh because of um my neighbors, mm-hmm. um, the um, Donna and Mike Fuss, who lived across the street and <clears throat> they were um big rose gardeners and in fact um Donna became the consulting rosarian to Elizabeth Park Rose Garden which is one of my favorite places to visit in Connecticut.
0: I was going to put you on the spot and ask you what your favorite garden is in Connecticut. Is it Elizabeth Park or do you have another?
2: Uh, Well, I have several actually, and um, there are several that I can recommend um, that would be great to visit this time of year right now in July. Um, You know, gardens, uh, some gardens are really focused on different times of the year. Some are definitely spring gardens because of the type of plants that they have, whereas others um, really come into their own in mid to late summer. So uh, Elizabeth Park is one of the places um, that uh, is great to visit um, in the summer. Really, uh, the roses come into bloom in June, and they will continue through October. And it's, um, it's actually America's oldest public rose garden, And they have over 15,000 rose bushes. So it's really um, a delightful place to visit. So that's uh, one of my favorites. Um, And then there are others. Uh, For instance, Roseland Cottage, which is in Woodstock, Connecticut. Uh, This is a very formal Victorian parterre garden uh, designed in the late 1800s. And it's got beds, about 21 beds, um, that are surrounded with boxwood and planted with colorful annuals uh, and perennials and roses as well. So that's a that's a garden that's very different in style. Another place uh, that I love to visit is Wickham Park mm-hmm. in Manchester. Have you been there?
0: I have. Tell our listeners about Wickham. It's a really
2: interesting place. Yeah, it is, because what they've done there is they have developed um, – several themed gardens and you almost feel like you're traveling around the world because you, there is a very large eight acre oriental garden um, with a Chinese tea house and ponds that are filled with Lotus, which is blooming actually right now. So that's a great time to um, see it. Um, They have an English garden, a Scottish garden, an Irish garden, and one of their newest gardens is called a sensory garden. And that's really designed to, um, To uh, experience the garden with all of your senses, with the sense of touch, with the sense of hearing, smell, taste, and sight. So that is a very contemporary garden, very uh, interesting and beautiful in style. Mm So gonna, uh, Wickham Park is a great place to visit as well.
0: We're going to keep hearing recommendations from Yana Milbacher, again, a garden designer and author of A Garden Tourist, New England. Uh, before we head to break, I did want to ask you, because you're a longtime gardener, Yana. Uh, again, for people um, who are new to gardening, in the month of July, what are some garden tasks that people should be uh, doing uh, to keep the flowers uh, going throughout uh, August?
2: Sure. Um, well, this is uh several things that I do in the garden right now. One is I will prune um, shrubs that have bloomed in June um, because te- typically flowering shrubs uh, should be pruned right after they flower. So uh, shrubs like Wygela or Viburnums that, um, that bloomed last month can be pruned now to um, shape them or to contain their size. Uh, You should also be deadheading your annuals and perennials. That means removing the spent blooms, and and that will encourage them to keep blooming through the summer. Uh, Even perennials that typically will have a main time of bloom, say in June, if you do cut them back, you can get a second time of bloom later in the summer. Of course, weeding and watering are something that you need to continue to do all summer long. Um, and also uh, continue to fertilize annuals. Um, things in containers really benefit from fertilization um, every week or two weeks. Um, and also, you can fertilize your roses one more time at this time of year. So those are some of the um, some of the tasks. Um, July tends to be kind of a lighter um, work time in the garden because um, things are generally well established. So it's really much more of a maintenance time, uh, much more than starting new gardens or doing really large projects.
0: Uh, Sandra shares with us on Facebook uh, that um, to plant more edibles at this time of year, you could try seeds of bush beans and summer squash. She says there's still time to plant zucchini seed. And then later in August, you can plant beets, carrots, peas, spinach, and lettuce. Uh, Sandra, thank you for that. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We'll continue speaking with Jana Milbacher after the break, and we'll hear from another expert gardener to give us recommendations on how to create a special place where we live.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare.
3: Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare.
0: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanschel. We're spending time talking about gardening today and public gardens and nurseries you can visit throughout our region. Yana Milbacher is with us, a garden designer and author of The Garden Tourist New England, a guide to 140 outstanding gardens and nurseries. Before we hear you talk about some places to visit throughout New England, I wonder if you could give us a couple more places in Connecticut. One is the Hollister House, Yana.
2: Yes, yes. That's actually um, also one of my favorite gardens to visit. Now, this is um, a unique garden. It's a a private garden that's transitioning to be a public garden, Um, and it has been a 30-year labor of love uh, for its owner, who actually lived in New York City, and this was his weekend home. And when he designed the garden, he... um, he created it around uh, an 18th century farmhouse and he wanted to make the garden look like it's always been there. So he used a lot of um, old materials and recycled materials to create the structure of the garden. So the garden itself is uh, inspired by classical English gardens, kind of formal in shape and layout, but then the plantings are very uh, bold and artistic and colorful. Uh, So that's actually one of my favorites. And that's a great garden to visit in late summer because you will see just uh, towering perennials and lots of bright colors uh, throughout the garden. So that's one that I recommend to visit from now until um, early Mm -hmm. October when they close.
0: And Hollister House is in Washington, Connecticut? That's right.
2: That's right. Washington, Connecticut. And I believe it's open on Wednesday afternoons, Fridays and Saturdays. But do check the website always, um, especially this year when some of the hours may be slightly different than mm-hmm. um, other years.
0: This book, The Garden Tourist New England, is actually your second book where you uh, guide readers to outstanding gardens and nurseries. What made you want to uh, do this project and write your, your previous book? Is it because you've always just enjoyed looking at other gardens, Yana?
2: Uh, yes, I actually began um, visiting gardens right when I began gardening, which was about 30 years ago. Um, I found that by visiting uh, public gardens and nurseries, I could learn a lot about which plants uh, were appropriate for our of the country, uh, which plants looked well together, you know, great companion plantings. Um, Also, I was able to get design ideas for my own garden and learn a lot lot about just um, cultivation techniques. So it's really been inspiring and educational for me. And I think especially if you're a new gardener, um, you will learn a lot by visiting uh, public gardens and nurseries. Um, And the nurseries that I mentioned in my book are ones that generally uh, will specialize in a type of plant or will have really interesting display gardens. Um, And those are are great because you will see the plant in the pot, but then you will see it um, in its mature form. And oftentimes uh, it changes a lot during its uh, growth periods um, so that um, it's great to see it in a mature form as well.
0: I was thinking that when people visit White Flower Farm, it's a good place to get ideas as well, uh, Yana.
2: Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, They have wonderful um, shade gardens that are just a tapestry of different plants with different foliage, color, and texture. And then one of the newest display gardens there is a 280-foot-long perennial border uh, that's done in sort of the classic English style, And in fact, it was uh, designed by the head gardener of Great Dixter in England. And that is just a fantastic, um, fantastic uh, border to see. Uh, It does have both shrubs and perennials and annuals. And uh, you really do feel like you're walking through a garden in England when you visit that garden. Mm.
0: Janet's calling from Stanford. Janet, you're on the show. Um,
2: Fantastic uh, border to see. Janet, can you hear me? perennials and
0: annuals and looks like Janet's having trouble uh, hearing uh, Siana. we'll try her in just okay. a little bit but let me bring in another expert gardener into our conversation uh, on zoom right now is Bill Noble he's, he's written the book Spirit of Place the Making of a New England Garden Bill welcome to our show
3: good morning Lucy
0: so we were just talking about Hollister house I understand that you have a connection to Hollister house
3: I have a long, very friendly and interesting connection with the Allister House. Um, I first saw uh, George Shulkoff's garden in 1993, I believe it was, and then I would return when he would open it for the Garden Conservancy's open days. And uh, his garden is so beloved that, um, as I was Director of Preservation uh, for the Garden Conservancy, Uh, George and I struck up a conversation in which he um, told us that he would like to preserve his garden. And so that was 10 or 12 years ago that I first began working with with George and, and now opening that garden to the public.
0: Mm-hmm. Bill, I mentioned your book, Spirit of Place, that walks readers through uh, how uh, you found uh, where you live in Norwich, Vermont, and how you have uh, developed and created so many beautiful gardens around your home. Uh, tell us about how, how you found this special place.
3: uh um. My partner and I were looking for a place in the early 1990s, and he wanted a, uh, a sleek modern house with a grand view, and I wanted a farmhouse <laughs> where uh, where I could garden. But he needed a room for a, a grand piano, a Steinway piano. So luckily, it was he who found this farmhouse and showed showed it off proudly to me. And it was clear that this is this would be the place that we would want to move to. It had been gardened for 60 years by the former owners. Uh, it was a farm dating from the 1760s with an 1830s farmhouse. It was it was not in great condition, um, but it wasn't a fixer-upper. So it was something that we could that we could take on.
0: Mm. Uh, When you were thinking about um, developing the gardens that were already there and and putting your own touch uh, to the property, you really thought about what it meant to be rooted in place. So talk about that thought process with us and how you went about uh, creating your new gardens.
3: Well, being rooted in place has to do for me with history and with established trees and shrubs, I had been working in the gardens of the sculptor, Augustus Saint-Gaudens. And so my introduction to ornamental horticulture was working in an established garden with 100-year-old trees and white pine and hemlock hedges. Um, there were challenges to redo the flower garden, but I I counted kind of myself so lucky to have the bones of a landscape that had been created by an artist before me. And I kind of saw that here with 100 year old uh, apples and sugar maples, and then uh, a wonderful array of uh, flowering uh, spring shrubs. So I had something to grab a hold of. It took a few years to clean the blackberries and some of the more aggressive roses out out of everything else. And as I was doing that, um, I was trying to understand uh, where I was. And one of the things that um, struck me was that in doing all that cleaning up, um, all that bird life that I had been noticing uh, disappeared. Mm. So that that made a strong impression on me that if I was going to garden here, it wasn't going to be just for myself, but I was going to... Think about ways of re-attracting the birds and the wildlife close to the house.
0: I love that because we think about what a manicured lawn looks like, but it's also important to remember about all the pollinators uh, that need the connection uh, to the land uh, to do uh, their important work. And so finding a place uh, to let that be natural and not be uh, so perfect in one sense, Bill
3: yeah we we have lawns here um they're not perfect or manicured <laughs> but they're, but they're presentable lawns um because if you're going to have flower borders or shrub mm. borders you don't want to be looking at at weeds in in front of that but right next to or adjoining to some of those more um, ornamental part of the parts of the gardens um there are native shrubs that i've planted as well as native shrubs that are seeding themselves in and it just takes some time to watch those grow and then to decide what to keep and what to thin and what to prune and and how to bring the the ecology of the landscape around you uh, closer into the garden
0: you can join our conversation with our guest today, Bill Noble, who's also a garden designer, who's written this beautiful book, Spirit of Place, The Making of a New England Garden. Also with us uh, on the phone is Yana Milbacher, who's written The Garden Tourist, New England. Yana, uh, before I take some listener questions, uh, we heard Bill mention uh, St. Gardens. Uh, this is a property in Cornish, New Hampshire, I believe is also in your book. Yes, Tell us about this it place. it is. I'm
2: sorry?
0: Tell us about this place.
2: Oh, well it's um it is the sculptor's garden and um one of the things that i really enjoyed enjoyed seeing is how he created different garden rooms um and meticulously placed his sculptures in those uh spaces so that it really um it really showed off the sculptures to best to best effect um he, in fact um as a sculptor, he was very much concerned about how, about how his sculptures were placed in the landscape, no matter where they were exhibited, not just in his own garden. Um, so that was a really big focus for him. Um, and uh, there are beautiful, um, beautiful uh, flower gardens there. One of the things that I really remember that um, that struck me were the incredible hollyhocks that surround his studio building. Uh, that's a really old-fashioned plant mm-hmm. that you don't see in too many gardens right now, but um, it's a very romantic looking, and um, I just loved the way that it looked surrounding his rustic uh, studio building.
0: And again, that's in Cornish, New Hampshire. You can learn more about that place as well as other uh, really interesting gardens to check out around our region uh, by reading Jana Milbacher's book, The Garden Tourist, New England. I want to take some calls now from listeners. Uh, Edwin's calling from West Haven. Edwin, you're on the show.
1: Hey, thanks so much for taking my call. I got to say, you guys, this is a great uh, way to wake up. And, oh, good. Um, <laughs> very interesting. I had a question for you. So this is my second year in Connecticut, and I have a raised bed garden, and it seems to be, I thought they were cute at first, but these little yellow bugs, and I come to find out they're cucumber beetles. I'm trying to figure out a a way to maintain and naturally try to take care of these guys without using chemicals in my cucumbers and amongst my zucchinis.
0: Edwin, great question. I remember one year, cute beetles took over my, my, my poor cucumbers. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Bill Noble, because you also have a vegetable garden uh, where you live. Uh, what's some advice for Edwin?
3: Well, uh, monitoring is the best advice. And and get your early warning sensors up. Um, I have found with some infest, insect infestations that, um, uh, and, and I'm there with Edwin, I don't want to spray. Mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes picking early on or um, consistent picking, hand-picking off, um, can really reduce populations to an extent where you'll be able to harvest cucumbers or with the red lily beetle, which many yes. people have a problem of. Uh, with uh, I've mostly just picked those over the years, and the populations are, are way, way down.
0: Uh, Bill, have you tried those sticky traps for those particular beetles? Is that effective?
3: I have not, and I haven't tried sticky traps for Japanese beetles either. One one of the advantages of gardening in way Northern New England is, is that, um, we don't enjoy some of the pests that, that our, our neighbors in Mm -hmm. the, the warmer and more humid parts of New England enjoy.
0: Uh, Judy's calling uh, from Cheshire. Judy, what's your gardening question?
3: Hi, thanks
1: so much for taking my call. Um, I, too, have a question about pests. Um, a month ago, everything in our garden, we have an 18th century house and barn and gardens, and I really got into it this year. I'm retired, um, but in the last three to four weeks, everything that was beautiful now is covered with different kinds of pests. We Two special uh, especially b- bothersome are these white jumping things, and um, and the other uh, is some kind of a mold on the leaves of our tomatoes. But r- r- it's on everything: the border plants, the flowers, the herbs, the tomatoes, even the wild raspberries.
0: Oh, that what sounds that sounds awful, Yana yeah. uh, uh, Milbacher. Do you have some advice for for Judy? Because again, July there are a lot of pests that pop out, and it's very right. discouraging. Well.
2: As far as the mold question um, goes, I think you need to look at some fungicides um, that um, you might be able to apply onto the leaves to get rid of that. Um, I tend to um, not spray uh, much for um, for uh, bugs and other pests because, again, I sort of side with Bill on that as well. Uh, I will tend to hand pick things as much as possible. Um, Sometimes too, uh, just, uh, a spray of water or using neem, um, oil, uh, which is, uh, which is something that can be used in an organic garden. Um, you know, that works well in get, getting, rid of, uh, many of the, um, the insect pests.
0: Thank you for your call, Judy. Uh, Bill Noble, we were talking earlier with uh, Yana about how a lot of people have been home more lately because we're still living in this pandemic. So what is your advice for our listeners who may be thinking about, you know, how can they uh, craft or create a a beautiful space uh, near their home and how should they begin?
3: Well, one of my pieces of advice is please have patience. Um, And this goes back to the question, the observation from the last caller, is that um, this has been a pretty stressful summer in our gardens. So a lot of us who planted vegetables for the first time earlier on um, are dealing with insect pests and with with drought. Um, Every year is not like this year. So keep that in mind. Um, And I think that uh, that's true with with the more ornamental parts of a garden, is to... um, think 10 years ahead. I think 10 years is, is maybe a good number. Trees can start to attain a size and to help shape the architecture the structure of a garden. Shrubs uh, uh, can can be more helpful in, in less time than that. But to really uh, take the time and understand where you are and have a plan. It doesn't need to be a drawing, but think things through. Um, a lot of us need to think through the development of a garden because our budgets don't allow us to do everything in one year. We've got to mm-hmm. stage things stage things in. And that's part of the joy of gardening for me is um, looking towards the next year and the future, and then also being able to readjust your plans as you, as you go forward
0: i think of gardening there's a lot of trial and error too bill when i look at your property again in this beautiful book spirit of place how long have you lived here now and have had the time to develop uh, these gardens that you have
3: next year will be our 30th year here the first uh, four or five years was really cleaning up and some modest stabs at uh, expansion or, or re-digging, uh, redigging some of the beds that had weeded over here and replanting them. Um, but it was around 1996 when I planted some of the what are now larger trees and shrubs and, and hedges. So 25, 25 years ago, this, the garden take, started taking shape. And it was maybe 10 years after that, that it showed that it had shape. And then shortly after that, um, Martha Stewart Living did a story about the garden and the storyline was that it was the garden of a weekend gardener, Um, which is kind of true because I was uh, traveling for the Garden Conservancy or working for the Garden Conservancy in the Hudson Valley. Mm -hmm. So it was really a a part-time endeavor. It's a little bit more full-time now, but it it came about um, on weekends and and mornings.
0: Uh, Yana, again, you've been gardening for some time. I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit through uh, some of your process when you develop uh, your gardens.
2: Um, Well, I was just going to add to what Bill had said. um, Also, just uh, don't be afraid to just try plants and just kind of jump in. um, Because it can be when you're starting from scratch, it can almost be kind of paralyzing to think about, oh, what shall I do? How will it look five or 10 years down the road? But um, I think, you know, uh, gardening is an educational process. And um, most gardeners, um tend to start with flowers. Um that's the way I started. I wanted lots of blooms. Um mm-hmm. so I started with uh growing annuals and uh perennials and then eventually as I learned more about gardening, I started to get more interested in the the shrubs and the trees and uh foliage plants. Um so I guess I I would just say uh don't be afraid to dive in and experiment. Um, plants also are a lot more resilient than you think. Um, many people think of themselves as black thumbs, but, um, plants in general, they want to survive and oftentimes they will surprise you with, um, uh, how uh, how well they do. Um, oftentimes they will seed themselves in parts of your garden that you did not anticipate uh, because they find that location more favorable. Um, so I, I guess I would say give it a try. Um, experiment with different plants and, and enjoy the process.
0: Jeff's calling from Newtown. Jeff, what's your question?
2: Yes, I
1: got... Um uh, two related questions. First of all, uh, we moved into a uh, house uh, about a year ago, and things are coming up, and I've got no idea what they are. Um, if if someone could recommend uh, an app where um, I, I know there are, there are some uh, to help me identify what I have, and secondly, um, if if there is a software or something that that I can plot and lay out uh, the garden and. Uh, actually, pinpoint what what was planted and uh, and stuff like that.
0: Jeff, good question. Bill Noble, do you have some um, some answers for Jeff?
3: Yeah, I'm old school, so <laughs> probably not very <laughs> satisfactory answers. Um, I've been using PlantSnap, and um, maybe three quarters of the time it's right. But um, I took a picture of ragweed the other day and it did not tell me it was ragweed. So, oh, you, interesting. so I, I would start there, but then I would go to um, other sites. And, you know, Yukon has a, a really good um, horticultural, ornamental horticultural mm-hmm. site. And, the, and Go Botany is a very good site for identifying uh, New England. Uh, native plants. And being old school, school, I mostly draw by hand, but I do have friends who use InDesign and some other sort of lower tech uh, uh, design and drafting programs.
0: Well, thank you, uh, Jeff, for, for your call. Again, uh, with us today on Where We Live, Bill Noble by phone, who's written Spirit of Place, The Making of a New England Garden. Also with us is Jana Milbacher, who's written The Garden Tourist, New England, A Guide to 140 Outstanding Gardens and Nurseries. We're going to hear more about places to visit around our region right after the break. And you can join us too. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall Now today we're, we've been focusing on the garden. We have two expert gardeners on the show today. Jana Milbacher, a garden designer and author of The Garden Tourist New England. And Bill Noble, also a garden designer who's written Spirit of Place, The Making of a New England Garden. You can join us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Sally's calling in from South Glastonbury. Sally, you're on the show.
1: Yes, um, good morning. I didn't know whether you had mentioned to your listeners uh, that the Garden Conservancy um, usually, although the schedule has changed this year, offers open gardens. Uh, People open their gardens for a certain uh, day and tickets can be purchased uh, online uh, ahead of time or at the garden. I'm noticing that many of them that were scheduled for July and August have been canceled this year. Um, and I don't know, I haven't had a chance to look what, what is going to be happening in September. But these are gardens that, uh, these are private gardens, and many of them, not all of them. Um, and they are um, absolutely spectacular. We've really enjoyed doing it in the past.
0: Sally, before we let you go, you mentioned people can go online. Is, what is the website to learn more about these open gardens?
1: It is gardenconservancy.org.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Sally, uh, for that reminder. Uh, Elise is calling in from Westchester. Elise, what's your question?
1: Um, Yes, good morning. I live in Harrison. I have some caladium bulbs, and I'm wondering if it's too late, and if uh, soaking them ahead of time will speed them along.
0: Caladium bulbs. Uh, Bill Noble, uh, advice for Elise.
3: I think uh, having some moisture in the bulbs is a good idea. And if this summer stays as hot as it's been so far, you'll have months of enjoyment out of them. Mm-hmm.
0: Barbara's calling from Wallingford. Barbara, what's your question?
3: Hi, I'm I'm um, interested to see what
1: either of your guests think of comfrey, C O M F R E Y. Uh it I have I have quite a quite a bit of it and it's supposed to be of an enricher and also a pollinator, a garden enricher. You can make comfrey tea and use
2: it as a natural fertilizer. And I was wondering if they knew anything about
0: it. Uh, yeah, I've never
2: grown comfrey myself, so I really can't comment on that
3: one. Uh, Bill Noble? And I haven't introduced it into my garden. Um, I I farmed once where there was a big patch of it. If, if you do want to grow comfrey, my advice is to uh, grow it in a dedicated place and not with anything else that you uh, care about because it, it's uh, it's a very robust, uh, very robust aggressive perennial, mm. but with all these other other uses.
0: Uh, Bill is based in Vermont. Uh, Yana, do you have some recommendations of places to visit in Vermont, public gardens or even nurseries?
2: Uh, sure. Um, there are many great nurseries in Vermont that I have found. Um, there's uh, Horsebird Gardens in um, Charlotte, Vermont. Um, Rocky Dale and Bristol, Vermont. Um, I found both of these gardens had great selections of unusual perennials, um, as well as some, um, rare, uh, conifers. Um, I also enjoyed Marie Perennials Perennial Garden Plus, um, which is in Starksboro. And, uh, that's, um, uh, that's a perennial nursery, as the name says. Uh, and she has a really fun collection of succulents and some, um, uh, display gardens that have humorous twists to them. Um, So those are some of the the nurseries that I really enjoyed there. Um, A couple of the the gardens that I love visiting in Vermont, one is Hildene, which is in Manchester, and that's a historic garden. Um, that was in the Lincoln family for generations um, and just has beautiful ornamental gardens. Um, in the in the early summer, you can see a uh, really incredible collection of peonies. Um, and later it's the summer blooming perennials as well as cutting gardens and vegetable gardens. So those are some of my favorite places in Vermont. I'm sure Bill has quite a few as well.
3: May I add a couple, Lucy? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> um, w- Similar to Hildene in a large estate garden in a a gorgeous setting is Shelburne Farms uh, on Lake Champlain. Um, Not many people know about the uh, large historic garden there, but it's in an extraordinary setting. And then a very small, small garden, but an exquisite garden. And one of the most interesting gardens from a horticultural or plant collectors perspective is Hades Falls Garden in in Morrisville. There used to be a nursery there. They've closed the nursery, but the the gardens are open and you might check their website. And then close to me is another uh, good specialty nursery with trees, shrubs, and perennials, E.C. Brown's Nursery in Thetford Center, Vermont. Mm,
0: Thank you for those recommendations. I want to fit in one more caller. Mark's calling from Woodbridge. Mark, go ahead. We just have a couple of minutes left.
3: Uh,
2: Yes, uh, I had a question on deer. I've been spraying quite diligently with a commercial spray to keep the deer away. And uh, last night they came and ate a a whole bunch of my uh, daylilies and some other plants. Is there something better I can... That's sad. (laughs) Um, I... um... I know that uh, sometimes it really helps to switch the different uh, deer repellents that you use because um, I have heard that the deer get used to a particular scent. Uh, And so after a while, it may not work as well anymore. So alternating different deer repellents um, is said to be a good technique. So you know, use one for a couple of weeks and then switch to a different one. also, another um, product that you can try using is uh, Milorganite. Are you familiar with that?
0: Oh, let me try it again That's, back. Mark, okay. did, did you hear uh, Yana's question to you?
2: Uh, yeah, yes, no, I, I have not heard of it. Yeah, Milorganite is actually a fertilizer, uh, but um, it, uh, it is very good as a deer repellent also because it does have a strong scent to it. So you can use it. It's granular. You can use it around your beds, but it will also help to uh, keep the deer out of your garden. Um, So that's another product that you can use um, to try to keep the deer away. But I think really the main thing is to alternate products uh, so that they don't get too accustomed to one particular scent.
0: And uh, Bill Noble, we often get this question when we do gardening shows, but it's a good time to revisit. Karen wants to know how best to prune hydrangeas.
3: Well, it depends upon which hydrangea. Um, and there's a very good website for gardening questions like th- this called A Way to Garden, Margaret Roach's website. So I would check that out because there are um, there are different st- pruning strategies for different hydrangeas. So I'll evade the question like that. But I do <laughs> want to, if Lucy, I could um, second what the caller uh, said about the Garden Conservancy's Open Days program. Sure. It's a great way of, of visiting gardens. It's a great way of learning about gardens and learning plants. Um, it is not operating uh, this month, but it, it may open. My garden was supposed to be open for the Open Days program tomorrow, but it will be next year.
2: Mm. Well, it is definitely- um, Yeah, if I just wanted to add to that, I did look at their website um, this morning actually, and it appears that their um, Open Days have been canceled for the rest of the year. That was um, what the website said. So unfortunately, I have been on many of the um, Garden Conservancy tours as well. And um, I definitely would recommend it also. There, um, you see some spectacular gardens on those tours.
0: Well, the good news is if someone picks up your book, Yana, they'll find uh, many uh, public gardens and nurseries to visit around uh, their state here in New England. Yana Milbacher again, who's written the book, The Garden Tourist, New England. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a really lovely book. I'm going to stick it in my car so I uh, know exactly where to go next time I'm visiting another state.
2: That's great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on your show. And and that's exactly what many people do with the book. They keep it in the car. So no matter where they are, they can look up and see what's in the area.
0: Wonderful. Thanks again, Yana. Also, Spirit of Place, The Making of a New England Garden, a beautiful book. Bill Noble, you live in a beautiful place. We really appreciate the time you took to speak with us
3: today. Thank you. Come visit Lucy.
0: Oh, I'd love to. Today's show, produced by Tess Terrible, uh, Carmen Baskoff uh, took calls today. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. I'm Lucy nopith Have a great weekend.